Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, while you're turning there, I'll pray for us. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless our time tonight. Uh, reading, studying, thinking about your word, and then hopefully being able to apply it uh, tonight and the rest of our lives. So would you fill us full of the Holy Spirit, really to listen to your voice tonight? Uh, Would you be speaking to us? Would you be guiding us, Lord, instructing us, maturing us, making us into the men and women of faith that you want us to be, making us into the evangelists that you want us to be? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 4, and what we're going to talk about is the idea of answering uh, objections in, in evangelistic conversations, when objections arise, as they often do, how should you answer? How should you respond? How should you uh, move past them? And so we're going to look at this fairly famous uh, account, an interaction with Jesus with the woman at the well that you're probably very familiar with. We're not going to read the whole passage for the sake of time, but we'll start out in uh, verse 6. So John chapter 4, verse 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, uh, again, I think most of us are probably familiar with this story, uh, and you probably know some of the background and history. Uh, the Samaritans were a half-breed race that were had part Jewish ancestry, but then they had mingled with Gentile tribes and, and pagans, and they weren't just half-breeds physically, uh, they were half-breeds spiritually. They had taken some true Jewish worship, uh, but they had kind of come up with their own ways to worship God and mix it together. And so therefore... The self-righteous, really religious Jews, a lot of the Pharisees, really hated and despised the Samaritans and looked down on them. And oftentimes they were so kind of proud in their self-righteousness, they wouldn't even pass through a Samaritan village. They'd go the long way, go around. Uh, Jesus loves to break cultural norms. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is primarily about um, answering, responding to objections. But part of what I want to do is kind of just lay the groundwork briefly by way of introduction, is, is Jesus when it does this and models it for us and is something that we can do, is it's good in evangelistic conversations to try to identify with somebody and get on their level as much as you can, obviously without sin. Okay, Sometimes we can make such a big deal about being Christians and trying to look distinct from the world, and there is a place for that as well, that we can totally miss the point that they're a human being and so am I. And just think about this. Jesus is literally God in the flesh, He's a Jewish man, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man. He has no sin. And he's about to interact with this woman who's a Samaritan. She's obviously a sinner. We're going to find out she's a pretty big, famous, scandalous sinner in this town. And yet he finds ways to identify with her. They're both human. They both seem to be tired. They both want some water. And he just strikes up a normal conversation with her. And she seems almost shocked by this. Because she's not used to being treated with that level of respect. I mean, she's a social outcast. Most of the women would have gone to the well early in the morning when it was still cool and they could have water for the day. She doesn't go with most of the women. She's there at noon by herself. And Jesus just treats her with respect. 
I had a chance this morning taking an Uber somewhere, and I was in a different city, and the Uber driver was obviously not from America, by the way, uh, his accent. And so I just started out talking about the most basic things. Where are you from in your city, and how do you like this city, and what brought you? And then we had a short conversation about just kind of normal life things. When I started to move the the conversation into more of a spiritual mindset, he's a Muslim, and I'm I'm obviously a Christian, uh, he didn't seem to be tense. He didn't seem to be antagonistic. He was much more warm and open to conversation, but I think partially because I'd started with just some conversational, you and I are similar in a lot of ways. We're just two people, okay? So that's all by way of introduction. Now, we're going to go in depth into this conversation, John chapter 4, and just kind of three points that we're going to see the way the conversation moves forward. Um, Real water, a real woman... And then real worship. Okay, that's what Jesus is really going to talk about. So let's, he, he makes this shift. Okay, He asks for a drink. That's very normal. And then we saw in verse 10, he says, Well, if you knew the gift of God, you'd be asking me for a drink. Now let's just be honest for a second. I mean, just, and, and, and I'm, you, know, you never want to be criticizing Jesus. But if we were trying to evaluate Jesus on how smooth of a transition that was, that wasn't very smooth, was it? I mean, that, that was kind of an awkward turn. We're talking about drink from a well, and he's like, well, I got this whole thing called living water. You should be asking me. But here's the point. It works. And I know oftentimes in my evangelism, and I think oftentimes in our evangelism, we can be way too concerned about making a smooth transition, making a natural transition. And listen, when you can make a smooth and natural transition, go for it. That's probably better. But sometimes it won't be that way. And I'm not saying we have to be overly aggressive. And the first time you meet somebody in the first five seconds on the elevator, you have to say the name Jesus. Or you, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that sometimes I think we wait way too long. And Jesus is trying to take something very basic and natural. I mean, think about, let's think about water for a second. Water is one of the most basic necessities of life, right? I mean, two primary things that water does for us when we think about drinking it. It keeps us alive. You have to have it. But it also, it quenches our thirst. There's something very satisfying about water. I mean, if you are dry and you're parched and maybe you've uh, been working hard or working out or something, sometimes there's nothing better than a cool glass of water. So it's more than just keeping you alive and sustaining you. It satisfies you. It refreshes you. And Jesus is going to use that. But part of what I'm going to kind of keep coming back to tonight is this. That one of the best things that you can do in evangelism is focus on the essentials. Focus on the basics. Don't let people knock you off track with secondary issues that aren't primary to the gospel and their salvation. And water's a good illustration of that. My wife and I sometimes like to watch some of these different survival shows. You know, we'll drop somebody off on some desert island all by themselves and with a video camera and see how long they can survive. And one of the first things they always try to do is find water. You have to. You, you can go a long time without food. You can't go very long without water. It's a basic necessity. Okay, so Jesus is trying to make this illustration of... You need me. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the water of life. Now look at her response. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank for it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, two things. She probably thinks Jesus is saying, I've got some type of fresh water that is better than the stale water in this well. We don't know exactly what she's thinking, but that's probably it. And then she brings up, you know, Jacob, our father, he gave us this well. She's kind of boasting that. Samaritans may tried to make a big deal about their lineage, 
to Old Testament characters. No, no, we're real people of faith. And it's almost like she's trying to boast. There may have been some legend about Jacob that he was able to like get water out of the well without a bucket. But here's kind of our first example of what do you do when somebody kind of brings up a rejection. And sometimes it's not even an objection. Sometimes it's just a way to sideline the conversation. Look at how Jesus is going to respond to this whole thing about Jacob. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He totally ignores the thing about Jacob. It's like Jesus is smart enough to know, I'm not getting into a debate with you about your lineage and Jacob and are you a... It's like, that's just not the best use of our time. He's like, I was talking about living water. I want to go back to that. I don't know how many of you uh, ever played chess in your life, okay? Uh, we went through a little season in the Stubbs household where I was trying to teach my kids how to play chess, and we would play chess sometimes. You know, and the bottom line about chess is the only goal is to put the opponent's king in the checkmate. Take their king, okay? But there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different pieces. There's a lot of moves you can make. And sometimes, especially when my kids were young, they would get caught up in, I want to take dad's queen away, or I want to see if I can take more dad's pieces than he can take from me. And I would win every time. Now, that, that's nothing to boast in, right? They were like in elementary school. But here's the point. They were getting distracted by all these secondary priorities that didn't matter. And I was very aggressive, like, there's one goal. I'm going to put your king in checkmate. And in gospel conversations and evangelism, we should be very similar. There's one goal. I'm going after your soul. I don't want to get into a bunch of secondary theological debates that even if I win the debate... You can still be lost as a goat. It's not very helpful. And sometimes one of the best things to do is they bring up some random question or thought is just to ignore it. Now, that's not always, and we're going to look at a different one here. But sometimes it's like if you're on track, hey, I'm trying to talk to you about salvation. And they say, well, what about this? Like, yeah, Maybe we'll talk about that later. I, I'm trying to talk to you about your soul. That's what Jesus does first. Okay, so he's talking about real water, life-giving water, spiritual water, salvation. Now, she gets interested. It works. She didn't get mad. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water this so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay? That's great. So, he, now he's going to do something that seems a little strange to us at first glance. Look at verse 16. Now, he's going to seemingly change the subject. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now, he's talking about real water. Now he wants to talk about the real woman. Who are you really? Now, let's just be honest. This can seem kind of like a record scratch at the party. Everything's going fun and right. We're getting along good. And then all of a sudden, the music turns off. I mean, Jesus, what are you doing? You already had this awkward transition. Hey, give me a drink. Let's talk about living water. And she went with it. Now you're having this conversation about living water. And she's like, I'm in. And listen, again, we don't know what she was thinking. She may have thought, he's some kind of wizard who knows what he's going to do. But I'm interested. Give me the living water. And he didn't say, why don't you pray right now? He said, why don't you go call your husband? Now, her response, okay, verse 17, the woman answered, I have no husband. And literally in the Greek, it's three words. Don't have husband. I mean, it's like she's trying to make it as short and sweet. Next subject, Jesus. I want to change this subject. I don't want to talk about this. Don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now let's just pause for just a second. I have known some people in modern day America who've been divorced five times. 
And even in modern-day America, to be divorced five times is pretty scandalous, right? One's pretty normal. Two's pretty normal. A lot, a lot, a lot of people have three. But like five divorces, it's like, what in the world is going on? 2,000 years ago, in such a hyper-traditional, hyper-religious, patriarchal society, this was the scandal of all scandals almost. Do you realize that? And now she's shacked up with a sixth guy. We do not know the exact details, but I think we can say that we do know this for sure. She was looking for something in men and romantic relationships that they obviously couldn't get her, give her. Either some sense of security, somebody to take care of me, provide for me. Either some sense of significance, you're nobody unless somebody loves you. Or some sense of just satisfaction and joy and pleasure. And listen, it might have felt like it worked in the short run, but it obviously wasn't working in the long run. Everybody worships something. And a lot of times what we get trapped in in life and the people we're going out trying to talk to tonight, they are trying to find true life somewhere other than God. And oftentimes it's in his gifts, but they're doing it in a perverse way and it's ruining their life. And if you really want to have a real conversation with them about their salvation, at some point you're going to have to talk to them about their sin in a very personal way. A conversation about sin at the highest generic academic level. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. We're all sinners. Is close to worthless in personal evangelism. You realize that? Well, do you believe that you're not perfect? Of course I believe I'm not perfect. But, but listen, most people have one major sin they struggle with. I was reading some Calvin today. He was talking about the rich young ruler, you know, which his issue is money. And one of the things Calvin said, he said, the rich young ruler didn't feel his secret wound. And so that's why Christ kept pressing the issue about money. Because the guy had a hole in his heart, so to speak. But he wasn't aware of how bad it was. And Christ asking those pointed questions. So sometimes in evangelism, one of the best things we can do is say, hey, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about what you're truly worshiping in life. Let's talk about where you're truly trying to find living water in life. And how's that working out for you? Because the answer is it's never working. Now, they, if, again, they might think it's working in the short run. Give them enough time. It's not working, obviously, like this woman. Now, let's look at how she responds to that. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, very brilliant deduction, young lady. Uh, And then verse 20, okay, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, here's her real, we could call it an objection. We could call it a smoke screen. She's obviously trying to change the conversation. But we need to wrestle with this. Why? Why was she trying to change the conversation? We don't know for sure. And when people do this in conversation with us, and if you share the gospel enough, you will run into stuff like this. Like you're trying to get really specific about salvation, really specific about their sin. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I I grew up in a Baptist church. We don't baptize babies. You go to one of those churches that baptize babies, right? Listen, when, when that happens, there's at least three different reasons that somebody could be doing it. One, it might be a real personal burning question. It might be something they have really wrestled with. Maybe this is something they've debated with their family. and they, Maybe they grew up in a denomination that say you have to be baptized to be saved. And for them, it's a really big question. Second, oftentimes it's out of pride. And here's what I mean. They just want to show that they know some stuff. They're like, oh, we're going to talk about Jesus stuff now? I know some stuff. They're just trying to kind of show that they've read something before. 
But third, and in my experience, this is almost always the case, it's protection. It's a mask. It's a guard. I don't want to talk about my personal stuff with you, a stranger that I just met. I would much rather talk about deep theological academic issues. And listen, guys, this is so common. And, and guys, one of the ways I don't have x-ray vision, I can't see people's hearts. So I don't always know if somebody's doing it in the moment. But one of the ways that I know people do this is we've had people come to Christ on the campus. And then later they come back and they're like, man, all those questions. I mean, I have one guy specifically I'm thinking about right now at Samford years ago. And he wanted, you know, wanting to meet with me. And he had all these questions about predestination and blah, 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 blah. And when he finally came to Christ, he's like, I didn't care about any of that. I wanted to sleep around and get high and I just wanted to make a bunch of excuses about why I didn't believe the Bible. I, I mean, this is kind of a funny story. There were two baseball players at Montevallo. This has been a long time ago. One of them came to Christ, and he was very passionate about his faith. And so he was trying to talk to his roommate. His roommate was not interested at all. His roommate was just a good old country boy from you know somewhere, no-name little town in Alabama. This was right after 9-11 happened. And he just got sick of his roommate talking to him about Christ. So he would just come up with the most insane things he could say to throw the guy off. He'd say, what about Islam? I think Islam is really more of a peaceful religion than Christianity. You know, this young Christian was ready to pull his hair out. But later, the guy did come to Christ. And he said, man, the whole time, I was just trying to get you off my back. So now here's the thing. In the moment, we don't always know. Is this a genuine question they're really wrestling with? Or is it a smoke screen? And guys, sometimes it's a combination of both. So how should we respond? And, and, and Je- again, Jesus gives us the perfect model. Look at what he does in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, and this is where he's going to start talking about real worship. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You see what Jesus did? He said, you want to know which mountain you're supposed to worship on? The Jews worship on this one. Y'all worship on this one. Where are you supposed to go do your sacrifices? Right now, the Jews are right. You're wrong. There's the answer. But you know what? All that's not going to matter much longer. You're not going to have to go to temple anymore. You're not going to have to make sacrifices anymore. He took the thing that she seemed to be interested about and he redirected it back to the deeper point. Let's go back to the heart of the matter. True worship, sincere worship, spiritual worship. Again, I, you know, I threw up the baptism example earlier. I have had that happen where I've been meeting with a single fraternity guy at Sanford and he'll say something about baptizing babies. And I'll be like, you got any kids? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I'm like, then, then why do you really care about that? Well, and I said, you know what? Let's, you know one thing that Presbyterians and Baptists really agree on? Is what baptism ultimately points to. It points to God cleansing us from our sins. Do you have sins? Do you? So, again, sometimes it's good to let the person know, listen, if this is a real question, I'll... I'll try to help you find the answer. And if I don't know the answer, I'll go study and figure something out. But use what they seem to be interested in to direct it back to the main point. And that's what Jesus does here. And he says a few more words about worship. Okay, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she kind of feels like Jesus is talking about something in the future, end times, confusing stuff. And she says, well, I do believe that Messiah is coming, and I guess he'll make everything really... And Jesus then, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If this was a chess game, that would be checkmate. Now, application. In our evangelism, do everything you can to be gracious, to be winsome, to be kind. Do you notice Jesus, listen, probably the evangelistic conversations that I have had in the last year where people have gotten the most angry at me. It doesn't happen often, but it has happened. It was talking something about sexual sin. I mean, that's what our culture is up in arms about, right? Love is love. You're going to tell me that homosexual marriage, right? People will lose their mind. Jesus was having a conversation about some pretty deep sexual sin in a much harder culture to bring something like that up. He never got angry. He never got antagonistic. He never got sarcastic. He never got bombastic, pugnacious. So kind, so gentle, so warm. Listen. The message of the gospel is offensive enough. You don't need to add offense to it. We as the messengers ought to be as gentle, as kind, as warm, as loving, as respectful as we can be and let the message do all the offending. Okay, that's the first thing. What I said earlier, what if somebody asks you a genuine question, you think, but you don't know the answer? One of the best things you do is say, I don't know. Demonstrate some humility. I will do my best to find an answer and get back to you. Can I have your number? You just got a, you know, a follow-up meeting there. But in the meantime, I'd like to give you some verses to read and think about that when we get together we can talk about next time. Okay. Third point of application would be this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. If you have something like that you're really personally passionate about, maybe you're really passionate about end-time theology, and they bring something up about the seven-year tribulation, Please don't get off on that, okay? All the books you've read by Hal Lindsey or whoever, it's like, save that for much, much later and maybe never, okay? But, but in that moment, focus on the main things. Now, say, okay, but people even debate what the main things are, right? Yes. But just super briefly from this passage, what did Jesus seem to think were the main things? I think it's three things. One, the nature of God. The true nature of God. He's a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. That's the way Jesus talked about him here. The true nature of sin. Everybody's worshiping something. Everybody's trying to be satisfied, secure, and significant somewhere. And it's not working for them. And then third, you've got to talk about the Messiah and why he came. He came to do away with temples because He is the temple where we meet God. He came to do away with sacrifices because He was going to sacrifice His own life. And if you stick to those three things, the true nature of the Father, the true nature of people's personal sin, and the true nature of Christ and His work, you'll have plenty to talk about. And just keep trying to redirect the conversation that way, okay? Preach Christ and Him crucified. If he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. Let me pray for us. Father, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. We we can't read people's minds. We can't read their hearts. 
give us sensitivity to your Holy Spirit to guide us in the conversation. And Lord, give us uh, insight even into good questions to ask to expose the wells in people's lives that are dry. And then, Lord, help us be able to talk about Christ and the gospel and the salvation in a way that's more attractive and inviting because you are a Savior that satisfies. And we pray that you would be drawing people to yourself. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org. Thank you.